Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We're so excited to share this week's headlines with you. For our news update this week, we have a little bit more gallery drama. As many of you may have seen over the weekend, Pace got a lot of press coverage for allegations of an abusive work environment. As it was reported by Art Forum, quote, Pace launches internal investigation following workplace abuse allegations. The allegations are quite frankly appalling. And further than that, Art News reported that Pace's longtime president, Douglas Baxter, is taking an indefinite leave of absence after misconduct allegations. And this, of course, comes after Gagosian launched their own internal investigation following allegations of misconduct against Although it's sad to see these things are happening in such reputable galleries and really places that I think people look to to set a standard in the art world, it is encouraging to see that these allegations are being investigated and taken so seriously. Mm -hmm. I hope that Pace is able to deal with it in a timely manner the same way that Gagosian did. Yes, I agree completely. Shall we get into this week's headlines? Yes. Our first headline comes to us from the New York Times, where it was reported that, quote, the word at MoMA is rotation, rotation, rotation. Mm -hmm. This past Saturday, MoMA unveiled what is being called their fall reveal, a rehang of about a third of its holdings, which amounts to 20 of their 60 galleries. This is the first phase of an ambitious plan to regularly rotate the entire collection every six months, which was announced when the newly expanded museum reopened last year. This is so exciting because it is something that we've talked about before, how MoMA has so many works and they don't display them all and sometimes they're just kept in storage for too long. But given the fact that the permanent collection displays typically remain untouched for five to ten years this is incredibly fast-paced for the museum yes definitely and the collection is still spread through three levels and proceeds chronologically from the fifth floor which starts in the 1880s to the fourth which is 1940 to 1970 and then the second floor which is 1972 to present day Mm -hmm. and the same group of galleries on each floor are going to be reinstalled each time yes and getting even more specific while the art changes the galleries on four and five remain dedicated to a fairly defined style period or medium and although new examples are hung up the works are replaced with fairly similar works in the same place so i think What this refers to is like if there is a photograph that's in pop art style, a new pop art photograph will be hung, right? Yes, exactly. So although the actual work is changing, Mm -hmm. no period or medium or artist should Mm -hmm. be skipped over. Right. Very cool. And this article also brings up a critique surrounding the vagueness of the museum's choice in giving each gallery a more abstract title during the remodel. (laughs) So the example given is a fourth floor gallery, which now is called Domestic Disruption, which could quite honestly be anything. Like it doesn't really allude to a specific artist or period. And the title before the remodel was From Soup Cans to Flying Saucers, which more directly references the pop art that is shown in this space so i think i agree that the vagueness is a little strange but i do like how open it is because i think it gives the curator so much more room yes i agree like the opening allows for more space with the movement of art as the boundaries are less defined and it just like gives the curators 
more freedom for sure. So hopefully they will take advantage of this. And as the new system progresses, like they will be able to fully expand. Another huge benefit to this system Mm -hmm. is that it enables newly acquired works to be put on display at a much faster speed. Mm -hmm. Carolee Schneeman's work titled Four for Cutting Boards, which is a dynamic kinetic sculpture. Yes. It's also a painted screen and stage backdrop, Mm -hmm. and it was acquired by the museum in 2015, but is being shown for the first time as a result of this rearrangement. And as we've previously discussed, museums have so much work in storage and they're constantly adding work. So I think this is so exciting. I know I agree. And I love that you bring up the Carolee Schneeman because Paige and I actually took a course last year on Neodata and Pop Art and our professor focuses on Schneeman's work and he actually worked on a retrospective for her and he knew her personally. Yes. So very exciting that we will be able to see four for cutting boards because we did talk about it in class and we thought we might not be able to see it ever since it was in storage. So I think this just drives home the point that as art on this latest change, new audiences will be brought into the museum, whether they had seen the new layouts or not. And it's also a reason for so many New York residents to Mm -hmm. return to the museum again and again. (laughs) Yes, we'll be back. But a quote that really struck me from the article is, quote, one leaves the modern realizing that the collection has become a project on which the sun never sets. Mm -hmm. I think the idea that the museum is constantly changing is a very modern idea and the fact that it now allows for the museum to move at the same speed as both the art world and like a curator's mind Mm -hmm. is so exciting because the opportunities are just endless. I agree and I think MoMA needed something like this because in the end they are the biggest modern slash contemporary institution in the world so they definitely needed to come up with a system that allows them to display contemporary art in a timely manner. So we for sure will plan a visit to see all of these new works when we return from our Thanksgiving break. (laughs) And we'll share our thoughts on our future Monday chatter check-in, of course. Yeah, so stay tuned. Yes. The second headline of the day, some pop culture news, Brought to us by GQ magazine, quote, Harry Styles cardigan is being immortalized at the VNA. The J.W. Anderson cardigan that Harry Styles wore on the Today Show earlier this year is being given a place in the coveted Victoria and Albert Museum, which is the world's largest space dedicated to the decorative arts and design. Yes, I remember it is a sweater Harry wore for his performance of Watermelon Sugar, I believe, at the Rockefeller Center before every event was moved online. It makes it almost more monumental. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But during this performance, Harry gained more notoriety for the sweater than for his actual Mm -hmm. singing, although the song is very popular. Yes, but the sweater is iconic. (laughs) (laughs) And within minutes of going on stage, the checkerboard cardigan gained a following of its own, and there have been more than a thousand instances where the hashtag, hashtag Harry Styles cardigan, has been used on Instagram. Mm-hmm. The team at the VNA believe it's a signifier for the sign of our move towards more eco-friendly practices because so many people have been trying to replicate and create the sweater on their own. Yes, there was a trend on TikTok actually because people started making videos knitting, like trying to recreate the sweater, which is really great, you know, just like making your own clothes rather than buying, very environmentally friendly. But I think the fact that the sweater is entering the museum's collection just emphasizes the power of social media and how much of an influence these platforms have on our lives. Yes, and sadly, you can no longer purchase
purchase the sweater. But the article goes so far as to compare the knit to the Mona Lisa or like the relic from an Egyptian tomb, Mm -hmm. which I think might be stretching it a little bit too far. (laughs) Yes, I agree. We love Harry Styles, but the sweater does not compare to the Mona Lisa or any type of high art like that. But it is a perfect fit for the V&A collection since in recent years, they have acquired garments by Balenciaga and Dior. And I think you even saw one of their recent Yeah, I saw an Alexander McQueen show Mm -hmm. at the V&A that was incredible. Yeah. So there's definitely a space. It almost reminds me of the costume exhibits that happen at the Met here in New York. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's great because it draws in an audience or a crowd that might otherwise not just stroll through the Met on a random Saturday. It'll bring in tons of Gen Z people. (laughs) Yeah, and it is for sure exciting weeks for Harry Styles and the prize. He also appeared in Vogue earlier this week and this month. And that cover has been widely publicized. So we love to see all of this press he's getting. Very of the moment. Mm -hmm. Our third headline comes to us from Artnet, where it was revealed that, quote, amateur art sleuths are invited to share their theories on the whereabouts of lost art for a new show about missing masterpieces. A new virtual exhibition is calling on amateur sleuths to share their theories about the world's most infamous artists. The show titled Missing Masterpieces will be on view online for three months through February 2021 and is curated by Noah Sharney, an art history professor and founder of the Association for research into crimes against art. The project is loosely based on his 2018 book titled The Museum of Lost Arts. Such an interesting initiative. But yes, 12 missing works were brought together for the show, which was organized by Samsung, which is funny (laughs) because high resolution images of the lost works can be viewed online as well as on the new line of televisions from Samsung. So it is a little bit of an ad campaign. (laughs) The image on the article that we read actually showed pictures of the exhibit on the Samsung Samsung. so it's definitely an advertising moment sponsored content (laughs) but what's so interesting is that Sharni refers to this phenomenon called survivor bias which suggests that the history of art tends to focus on a very small group of works that have been able to survive in good condition Mm -hmm. for centuries and as a result the majority of works have gone missing or are just completely ignored yeah I agree with this but part of the project involves crowdsourcing any tips, theories, or clues about the whereabouts of missing artworks. And internet sleuths are invited to scour online and just media reports, social media, even Reddit threads, and share their findings with the hashtag hashtag missing masterpieces. I think this is so incredible. We actually, it relates to our next story. Yes. <laughs> but we've talked so much over the past few weeks about works of art that have been rediscovered mm-hmm, or found. By random people. I think of the Jacob Lawrence. Yes exhibit specifically Mm -hmm. so it is a time especially with the internet nowadays where works of art can so easily resurface and right now even during the pandemic like a lot of people had extra time and have gone on the internet and like looked up things so just all these random paintings have not random but previously lost paintings have been refound also what's so amazing is that this virtual exhibition is happening online Mm -hmm. so anyone can participate from anywhere in the world yeah that's true and when asked about the end goal of the exhibition the focus is kept on keeping the memories of the paintings alive rather than finding the works although i'm sure they wouldn't mind actually finding them no i think secretly i'm sure the end goal is Is to to find find them (laughs) 
Our fourth headline comes to us from Art Market Monitor, where it was reported that, quote, Dutch still life by Dehem discovered after two centuries looks to fetch four million pounds at Christie's. Ahead of their upcoming London Old Masters sale series, Christie's has unveiled a rediscovered monumental painting titled A Banquet Still Life by Dutch painter Jan Davids de Hem that will go up for auction on December 15th at the house's London headquarters. What makes this mid-17th century painting so special is that it has been in the same private collection since 1817. So for over 200 years, the same family has owned this painting. But further than that, Henry Pettifer, head of Christie's Old Masters apartment in London, discovered the painting back in 2016 at a private English residence. Yes, it's a wild story. The owners of the painting were unaware of the painting's attribution. Yes. After seeing the painting in this residence, Pettifer reached out to Fred Major, who is an expert in Dutch art and a former curator of the Netherlands Institute for Art History. After this, it was confirmed that the painting is indeed by Dehem. Yeah, so this actually reminds me of the Jacob Lawrence that you just brought up. Very similar situation. Yes, where it's just hanging in your home and then it turns out it's very valuable. And there's a consensus that this is so crazy mm -hmm. even compared to the Jacob Lawrence panel because of the scale and importance. It's really hard to believe that it remained largely unknown and undocumented for such a long time. Yes. For example, the Jacob Lawrence painting, it was well known that it was missing. Right, right. And not to go on a tangent, but like I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but it reminds me of the Nodler that I have been talking to Paige about for the past week nonstop. So she probably does not want to hear about her anymore. Anna has been obsessed. <laughs> but um, for those of you who don't know, Nadler Gallery was one of the most important galleries in the world. And then in 2011, it shut down abruptly. And it was not very known at the time why, but basically they were selling abstract expressionist paintings by Rothko and Pollock as real paintings when they had actually been produced in Queens in a studio. And they were obviously not by their real artists, but they sold them as real and the gallery had to shut down because of the lawsuit that this cost and of the legitimacy issues. What happened with those paintings was that the gallery claimed that they were just not documented and that they had not been put in like the catalog racines, but they were real and things like this. So I wonder if even though this painting was found back in 2016, it took this long to confirm that it was actually from the hem and that it was the real deal and could be sold at auction. Yeah, what's interesting about this work is that one of the big indicators that it was truly a Dehem mm -hmm. is that the painting's dedication translates to Your Honor's Humble J.D. Dehem. Yes. And it is believed to have belonged to a group of four works, mm -hmm. which were all commissioned by the same wealthy nobleman. So the fact that it could be placed within this group of paintings yeah. by the artist, I think was really helpful in verifying. Yeah, for sure. Because two of the other paintings are actually at the Louvre and at the Brussels municipal museum which are obviously very high institution very official exactly and those paintings had a very similar dedication and very similar subject matters so that just like plays the fourth one yeah in the, those and then lastly the painting is expected to fetch a price of four to six million pounds at auction which is 5.3 to 7.9 million dollars and if it's able to reach its high estimate it will be a new benchmark for the artist 
whose last record was set nearly three decades ago by a similar canvas titled Banquet Still Life with the Lobster, which sold in 1988 for $6.6 million. Yeah, crazy. I think it will fetch its high estimate price. But this is exciting all around and we cannot wait to see how it performs at auction. Yes, we're excited to track it. Mm -hmm. Our fifth and final headline of this episode comes to us from High Snobiety, which reported, quote, how the artist known as Italy's Banksy was finally caught. After an 18-month search, authorities in Italy believed they finally identified Gecko, a mysterious Italian street artist often referred to as the country's Banksy. His blocky moniker has adorned Rome's subway stations, bridges, buildings, and parks, infuriating the city's mayor. (laughs) The city authorities did not directly disclose his real name, but according to Italian news outlets, the artist is thought to be in his late 20s and originally from Rome. Yes, so once considered uncatchable, the elusive street artist now faces up to two years in prison and fines. Although not yet formally charged, the police force has been celebrating his recent unmasking. What's so crazy is after being caught, the police were able to seize hundreds of spray cans, thousands of stickers, ropes, fire extinguishers, cords, locks, six mobile phones, Mm -hmm. computers, brushes, rollers, and buckets of paint. So it's quite the eclectic mix of belongings. It is. And it also, it's so funny because when you read headlines of um, like real criminals, it's like, oh, they were able to seize guns and like all these things. But right now it's like Like spray cans, (laughs) (laughs) which just sounds so innocent. But yeah, the gecko sting was carried out by an 18-month-old environmental police task force that works directly with the mayor's office. And their overarching claims were that the artist was causing damage to city property as well as various other buildings and green spaces. And while graffiti is a big problem in Rome, many citizens believe that the city should have been working to address other issues. So they are upset. They list potholes, infrequent garbage collection, and the economic toll of coronavirus as more important issues to devote time and resources to rather than hunting down a street artist. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. And Gecko's lawyer, Domenico Melilio, is also a street artist known as Frode, and he (laughs) agrees with these Roman citizens and is arguing that Rome's mayors have historically cracked down on graffiti as a way to forge a political consensus. But it is definitely not the most important or pressing issue that the mayors should be focusing on. Right. But obviously, graffiti can be particularly problematic in a city like Rome, as so Mm -hmm. many areas are protected and preserved as historic landmarks. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) What's really interesting is that the initial incident that really caused this rift between the artist and the mayor is that he accidentally tagged a Secret Service hideaway, thinking (laughs) that it was an abandoned building. When you think about other street artists, such as Banksy, whenever a Banksy work pops up, it attracts such a large crowd with people taking photographs. It goes viral very quickly, which is not really what you would want from your hideout. No, I think this is my favorite part of the entire article, the fact (laughs) that he tagged the secret um, hideout. But I, what I loved about this headline is that we so often talk about Banksy in regards to auction houses and galleries, and it is easy to forget his role as a street artist and where he came from. Yes. And then also what it really drives home for me is how impressive it is that Banksy has been able to remain anonymous for so long, Mm -hmm. especially after reaching such a high level of popularity. Yeah. But now I'm just curious to see what Gecko looks like. I really hope they release his (laughs) photograph. And I wonder if this too will make his art more prevalent and more, you know, just wanted because of all the controversy surrounding it. In a way, controversy is one of the best things that can happen to an artist like this because now he's known on a global scale. Yeah, like we're talking about 
about it right now. Right. So these were our stories for the week, but we do want to share emerging news. As reported on Art News, quote, $10 million Botticelli painting reportedly disappears amid legal dispute. This insane story involves some family drama, which we thought was very <laughs> fitting since all the holidays are coming up. I agree with that. But a Botticelli painting has disappeared as one of its co-owners isn't able to locate it. The drama started a while back when the Madonna and Child worth at least $10 million was due to be exhibited at Sandler O'Reilly's galleries in New York's Upper East Side. But days before the exhibition opened, federal marshals raided the gallery as part of an investigation of fraud into the gallery's owner who had just declared bankruptcy a few days earlier. Then after seven years, a federal court ruled that the painting did not actually belong to the gallery, but to an entity named Kraken Investments. The issue with Kraken is that the company belongs to John Dick II and Tanya Dick Stock, the children of Canadian businessman John Dick. His daughter has publicly stated that the painting was obtained by her father through Kraken without her consent. So a spokesperson for her added that they now don't know where the painting is. What I find so interesting about this story is that so often once a work of art is sold or transferred, people just completely lose track Yeah, especially of it. when it goes to um, private collections like this and then there's no regulation so now this Botticelli is like floating around god knows where I mean especially because when you think of Botticelli like what a prolific artist there aren't yes. that many Botticelli no. works that are in good condition especially not worth 10 million dollars exactly so it's so crazy to think about yes and with this mess we end today's episode don't forget to tune in tomorrow for our Friday feature where we virtually interview artist Gabrielle Banks thanks for tuning in see you tomorrow bye bye